Uh, when it comes to worshiping God at church, it can be hard to know how to do it sometimes. Especially if you're new to a church or a visitor church, it can be hard to know what to do. As confusing as it can be to worship God while singing in church, it can be even more difficult to live lives of worship. And that's what's really important, right? Living lives of worship. Not just singing, but worshiping God with our whole selves all the time. But what does that mean? How do we worship God with our whole selves all the time? That's an important question that I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to talk to you about the topic of praise and worship as we continue our series called The Way Back. Uh, this series, The Way Back, is, it's actually a mini-series that we are doing as part of our year-long study of the Old Testament book of Isaiah. It's called The Way Back because in the book of Isaiah, even though God's people, the nation of Judah, has wandered very far away from God, God wants to bring them back. But things have to be different. They can't just keep living their pagan lives of idolatry and immorality. So the prophet Isaiah, in his book, gives the people some things to do differently. As we've talked about, they need to lament and grieve their sin. They need to live lives of trust and not fear. They need to have hope in God. Skylar talked last week about they need to seek the Lord. And also, as we'll talk about this morning, they need to praise God. They need to live lives of worship. Uh, praising and worshiping God is actually a big theme in Isaiah. The prophet uses lots of words to describe whatever it is he's talking about. Words like praise, sing, worship, exalt. Like in Isaiah chapter 12, give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Or in chapter 19, worship with sacrifices and grain offerings, make vows to the Lord and keep them. All these words convey attitudes and behaviors of respect to God Almighty. But my favorite word that I think Isaiah uses to describe what he's thinking about here is the word glorify. As the prophet writes in chapter 42, Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you islands and all who live in them, let the wilderness and its towns raise their voices. Let the settlements where Kedar lives rejoice. Let the people of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the mountaintops. Let them give glory to, let them glorify the Lord and proclaim his praise in the islands. Let the people glorify the Lord, Isaiah writes. I like the word glorify here because I think it might be the best in helping us understand what it means to really live lives of praise and worship. So that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. What does it mean to glorify the Lord? Well, to glorify means to give glory to or, or, or to commend someone for glory already possessed. But that raises a, an even more fundamental question. What is Glory. What does it mean for something to be glorious, which means full of glory? Well, we use that word sometimes, glorious. We use the word glorious to describe something, something majestic, something powerful, something beautiful. We've seen all kinds of things that are glorious. We've seen a glorious sunset. We've seen a glorious mountain view. We've seen a glorious event in nature. 
And we've seen a glorious building with glorious architecture. Now, these are all glorious things in some way. Even people can be glorious in their beauty. Music can be glorious. Uh, Performances can be glorious. These things are glorious because they are beautiful, they are magnificent, they are splendid, they represent the peak of creation. Uh, Experiences can be glorious too, experiences that we have. I remember a long time ago, my son was playing uh, on the CYC soccer, on a CYC soccer team. And there was a kid on the team, a friend of his, uh, named Matthew. Matthew's a great kid, still is a great kid, but he wasn't having the best year. He's kind of like the unofficial team captain. Everybody was rooting for him. He's a great kid, but he just wasn't having a great year, wasn't getting any goals, and was getting really down and discouraged. We were all rooting for him. On the last game of the season, and we were tired, uh, time was running out, Matthew had the ball. And he was charging forward to the goal, ready to make a goal, maybe ready to win the game, and he got fouled in the box. So the uh, referee took the ball and put it on the, the penalty kick spot, and Matthew backed up to make a penalty kick, and the, the goalie lined up on the line, ready to, ready to block the shot. And Matthew, at the whistle, runs forward, smacks the ball with his foot, and it goes flying past the goalie, hard into the net. Parents were cheering. Kids lifted Matthew up on their shoulders. We won the game. Matthew got his goal. I actually wasn't there to see it, but Michelle, my wife, came home and was describing it to me, and I'll never forget the way she described it. She said, it was a glorious moment. Moments can be glorious. This is how we use the word glorious, to convey beauty and power and drama and perfection. Similarly, glory is used this way in the Bible. In fact, it's one of the key theological descriptions of Yahweh. Yahweh being the name of the God of Israel. Yahweh is said to possess glory. When when Isaiah enters the throne room of God in chapter 6, And he sees this picture of God sitting on a throne with burning seraphim angels uh, flying around him. What does he hear the angels saying? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the prophet instructs people from around the globe, give glory to the Lord. Exalt the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. Glory is an essential attribute of of God, but theologically speaking, what is it? What is glory? Well, in order to answer that question, we got to do a little bit of a word study. Uh, Glory comes from the Hebrew word kavod. Everybody say kavod. Kavod is literally translated as heavy or fat. So when we call God glorious, what are we saying? God, you are so fat. No, I'm just big boned. Not fat, F-A-T, fat, like P-H-A-T. No, that's not what we're saying. The word kavod was used to mean heavy uh, in reference to somebody's wealth. So the more gold and riches a person had, the heavier was their haul. The more glorious they were. Glory meant the heaviness of wealth. But it actually came to mean something in addition to that. The word came to mean something larger, as in the weight of someone's reputation, the weight of someone's perceived goodness. So when King David is walking around Jerusalem and the Old Testament, 
pointing out to visitors the huge buildings that he has built and the banners which testify of all his military victories. And he says, look upon my kavod. He's saying, look upon my glory, the weight of my power and reputation. So God isn't glorious because he's fat with gold, but because he is all-powerful and perfect. And that's what glory is, the visible expression of God's power and beauty and goodness. Pastor John Piper describes God's glory this way. He says, the glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of God's manifold perfections. The glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of God's manifold many perfections. You see, what we really need to remember and appreciate here is that God is separate from the earth. God transcends the universe that he created. He is infinitely bigger than the universe, and he is perfect in every sense. He is perfectly powerful. He is perfectly beautiful. He is perfectly majestic. He is perfectly good. These are his manifold perfections, but his glory is beyond what we can see or experience. Now, why can't you and I really see or experience the glory of God? I'm saying that we can't really experience the glory of God. Why can't you or I see or experience the glory of God? Because we would die. We would die if we experienced the glory of God. To truly be exposed to the glory of God would mean to be standing at ground zero at the detonation of a nuclear bomb. You're not going to live through that. You'll die. Do you remember when Moses, in the Old Testament, asked God if he could see his glory? Moses actually has the boldness to ask, Lord, show me your glory. And what does God say? God says, well, if I do that, you'll die. That's what happens if we are exposed to God's glory. That's what the autopsy report would say. Died from glory exposure. Now, why will we die? Why would being exposed to God's glory kill us? Well, God's glory is the radiant expression of his perfect moral goodness, his purity. God can have no part with sin, shame, guilt. Our lives are filled with those things. And so if we are exposed to God's perfect moral beauty, we'll just burn up. In fact, I've been thinking about this. I think it might be one of the reasons why God can seem like he keeps his distance from the earth sometimes, because he knows that if he brings his glory too close to us, we will all die. It's in his mercy that he sometimes keeps his distance for now. Now, while we can't see God's glory in its fullness, uh, we can get glimpses of it. Uh, even Moses got a glimpse of God's glory. Uh, you might remember that this is how the story plays out. Moses asks God for a glimpse of God's glory. Actually, Moses just has to see God's glory. And God says, uh, well, if, if I show you my glory, you'll die. But what can we do here? How about this? There's a rock over there. Okay, so go hide in the rock. There's a hole in there. Go hide in this hole in the rock. Cover your face with your hands. Do this with your fingers. Just like a little, little second. Just a little bit like that. And then when you do that, I will pass by in front of you and will show you a glimpse of the backside of my glory. That's what he says. While you're doing this, I'm going to show you a glimpse of the backside of my glory. Not my glory. I'm a glimpse of the backside of my glory. That's what Moses got to see. 
And that enough, that little bit of exposure changed him. Maybe even at the most basic physical level, it changed him. Moses started glowing, like radioactive Moses. So we can get glimpses of God's glory. And the Bible says that God's glory shines in glimpses throughout the earth in different ways. How do we see it? Where do we see these glimpses of glory? Well, we see glimpses of glory in lots of places. We see God's glory in creation. The psalmist writes, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. I know this is just the Milky Way, and these are little um, meteorites, but that is also the glory of God. Uh, the Israelites also saw glory, God's glory in his presence, in his presence in their nation. Uh, when they were wandering around the wilderness in the book of Exodus, they didn't really know where to go. And God led them through by a manifestation of his glory, the Bible says. God's glory appeared to them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And then they built this tabernacle, this tent in which they could worship God. And God, the book says, entered his glory, entered the tabernacle. I don't know what it looked like when the glory of God entered the tabernacle, but I'm sure it was glorious. We also see God's glory in his mighty deeds, God shows us his glory in what he does here on earth. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. That's what God's glory is, his marvelous deeds. God's glory is what he does. And also we see God's glory in Christ. Get ahead of myself here, but the Bible says that Jesus is the glory of God in human form. That is what Jesus is. The glory of God in human form, as we read in the book of Hebrews. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. It's a beautiful verse, by the way. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. God can't get too close to us because he would kill us, but he he wanted to be close to us enough to come as a man to radiate his glory into our lives. So we can't see God's glory in his fullness here on earth. All we can see are little glimpses. The universe can't hold it. We're too sinful. We're too blind. But that doesn't mean that we can't worship him in his glory as we have seen and as we have experienced it. And that's what it means to be the people of God, in fact. To be a Christian means to worship God in his glory. Almost by definition, that's what it means to be a Christian, to worship God in his glory. That's what the Bible tells us to do. Praise God in his glory. Give glory to God. Honestly, though, I've always thought this was a bit weird. I mean, why would God care so much that we give him glory? It seems kind of narcissistic and insecure. Maybe you've never wondered this, but for skeptics and cynics like me, we wonder these questions. Is God so insecure that he needs people to constantly tell him how important he is? Or is God so narcissistic and so overconfident about his own abilities that he needs people to keep telling him how great he is? Keep, keep it on, people. I need more. I need more. Keep telling me. Keep telling me. Tell me how great I am. I mean, is God that insecure and narcissistic? I mean, I'm that insecure and narcissistic <laughs> that people need to tell me those things. Uh, is God like me? Because that would be terrible. So that's the question. Why does God need to praise him? You might never have wondered that question, but it's actually an important question. Why does God need to praise him? But let me say a couple things about that. First of all, God doesn't need anything. 
God doesn't need our praise. God doesn't even need us. Um, also, God doesn't necessarily command us to praise him. It's more of an invitation. He, he, he wants us to. But more importantly, the reason God invites us to worship him is because he knows something that we don't know. He knows that we are at our best as people when we are glorifying him. We are at our best as people when we're glorifying him because it is the truest expression of our dependence on him. You see, when we glorify God, we are acknowledging our dependence on him as our loving creator. And this allows us to do what we are created by God to do better and for the right reasons. We are at our best selves when we do whatever God has given us to do in gratitude and praise and in glorification to God. I mean, think about a bird, if you will. A bird is its best bird self when it's doing what? When it's singing. Birds were made by God to sing. And when birds sing, it's not just some mating call, but it's a song of praise to God who gave that bird its song. Or think of a peacock. Peacock is at its peacock best when it unfurls its beautiful feathers. Those feathers aren't just signals to potential mates. They are emblems of God's creative power and beauty. When the peacock is doing what it does best, unfurling its feathers, it brings the most glory to God. This is why we glorify God. Not because we have to, although we do, but because when we do, we are at our best as his people, doing what God gave us to do, singing our songs and unfurling our feathers in praise to him who gave us songs to sing and feathers to unfurl. This is actually very, very important. It's important because have you ever wanted to be your best self? Have you ever looked at yourself in the mirror and said, I, want, I wish I were my best self? God wants you to be your best self. God created you to be your best self. And the most important way to become your best self is to live your life glorifying God in everything you do, say, and think. This is why Johann Sebastian Bach was such an amazing composer. I don't know if you know who Johann Sebastian Bach was. Uh, Bach wrote some of Western music's most amazing songs. If my musicology is correct, Bach practically invented Western music. But you know what Johann Sebastian Bach would write at the end, on the bottom right corner of every composition? He would write the words, Soli Deo Gloria, for the glory of God alone. Bach was an amazing composer because he wrote his music and praise to God alone. As a result, he was his best self. And what I want to emphasize here again is that singing is not the only way to glorify God. I mean, we talk about glorifying God and praising God in musical terms. It's one way, and it's an important way, but there are other ways to glorify God, too. If you're a terrible musician, and I know some of you are, I'm like stood next to you during worship time, <laughs> you need to know that there are other ways to glorify God. How many? An infinite number. We can do anything to glorify God, literally anything. We can do whatever. That's actually what the Bible says. You can do whatever to glorify God, as Paul writes to the Corinthians. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. You can sing to the glory of God. You can apparently eat to the glory of God. You can drink to the glory of God. You can dance to the glory of God. You can exercise to the glory of God. You can sleep to the glory of God. You can think to the glory of God. So that's what I want to spend the rest of my time on before we close with communion. I want to share with you six ways that we can glorify God. With six, I'll have to be brief, but hopefully I'll give you enough to think about. I will tell you, though, a sad admission. They do not all start with the same letter. 
I tried. My thesaurus skills are not that good. But get this, get this, this is something. They all at least have the same number of letters in them. <laughs> they all have four letters. <laughs> so that's something. Got to give you something. So six ways we can glorify God. Let's get the first one out of the way. We can sing. May they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great, says the psalmist. And as Isaiah writes, from the ends of the earth we hear singing. Glory to the righteous one. In many respects, we are just created to be songbirds, created by God to sing. And when we sing to God's glory, we are doing what he created us to do. But there are other ways to glorify God too. Like, we can work. God is glorified when people work hard at their jobs. Even Jesus glorified God by being a hard worker. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do, he says. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you, Father, gave me to do. Uh, one of the coolest things to see, really, is someone who is doing what they are created to do and works hard at it for the glory of God. When I think of someone who does this very well, uh, I think of Rob Glessner. I don't know if you know Rob Glessner. Rob runs our video team. I think he's back there on the camera. Everyone, everyone we've hired Rob. It's funny, Rob is on the camera recording himself of filming on the camera, so that's funny. Uh, Rob runs our video team. He actually helps run our men's ministry, but here's what he does. He runs a recording studio in Brentwood. Professionally, he runs a recording studio in Brentwood. He does all kinds of great and high-quality work there. It is top-notch work. I've seen it, but more than that, it is God-glorifying work. Rob is doing exactly what he was created to do, and he's doing it with diligence. He's doing it with integrity. And he's doing it with skill. And it is God-glorifying work. That gives God glory. You can do the same. You should do the same. No matter where you work or what you do, you can do it for God's glory. You can work hard. You can be a person of integrity. You can do it with skill. And God will be glorified. You can glorify God as a financial advisor. You can glorify God as a real estate agent. You can glorify God as a chemist. You can glorify God working for Chick-fil-A. I mean, there are some things you cannot do to the glory of God. You cannot be a racist to the glory of God. You cannot view pornography to the glory of God. There's not, you can't do everything to the glory of God. But everything else, you can. And you should. How else can we glorify God? We can tell. We can sing, we can work, we can tell. We can give God glory by telling other people about him, about who he is, about what he's done. As the psalmist writes, the people tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Sometimes what you've experienced of God in your life is just too much to keep to yourselves. I know many of us can be very reluctant to talk to other people about who Jesus is to us. We can be shy, bashful, those conversations can be awkward. But every now and then, who Jesus is to you is just too much to keep to yourself. I've had those moments. Uh, there's a family in my subdivision, for example, that has a sign in their yard. It's not just any old sign. Here's the sign. This is their sign. Jesus loves you. It's huge. It's there year-round. They light it up at night. I don't know this family. 
But I actually want to learn more for, from them. I, I want to hear how they have experienced the glory of God so deeply that they're willing to decorate their front lawn in such a bold and permanent way. Something inside of them must have happened that they would want to do this. That's one of the ways we can glorify God, by telling people about him in conversation or in yard signs. As a little bit of an aside, this is one of the reasons why I don't put political signs in my yard. Why would I advertise to the world who I'm going to vote for and not who has saved me from death? Now, I could put both in the yard, like Jesus and whoever else, but that seems kind of weird, Jesus and whoever else. Honestly, this is the only way to do it. (laughs) If you're going to put anything in your yard, this is the way to do it. We can tell, we can sing, we can work. Also, we can give. Sometimes singing can be too easy as a way of glorifying God. In order to truly glorify God, it needs to be a sacrifice. It needs to hurt. I mean, it's relatively easy to show up on Sunday morning and sing a few songs. It's harder to tithe 10% of your income to God. It's harder to give your time when you're already busy on the greeting team if you're an introvert or in the kids' ministry if you're busy on Sunday morning. That's, that's, that's worship. Because that costs you something. The word worship actually means worth. Worship is when we show God his worth. But this is what worship requires. Worship requires that we show him what he means to us. That's why giving is so important. Because giving literally puts our money where our mouth is. As the psalmist writes, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Oh, how do I do that, psalmist? Let me tell you. Bring an offering. Bring an offering and come before him. I heard a a Jewish rabbi say a long time ago, Without giving worship, it's just words. Without giving worship, just words. Our offerings bring praise to God. I know you guys think that, you know, when you're dropping a a check in the donation box on Sunday morning, you're just making a donation, but it's more than that. You're glorifying God by telling him how much he's worth, whatever you're giving We can sing, we can work, we can tell, we can give. Also, we can live. And not just live, like, you know, stay alive. I mean, live holy lives. Lives marked by self-control, by sexual purity, wise speech, peaceful relationships. The author of Psalms goes on to say, worship the Lord, I love this phrase, in the splendor of holiness. Worship the Lord in splendor of holiness. That refers to the quality of our lives, which is hopefully marked by goodness and righteousness. God cares more about the condition of our lives than he does about the quality of our singing. People who live radiant lives of holiness glorify God by reflecting his holiness to the world. When I think of someone around here who radiates holiness in their life, holiness and humility and servanthood, I think of Gerilyn Ahrens. Gerilyn runs our foster and adoption ministry here at Rooftop. That's something that's very dear to our hearts. Uh, Gerilyn I've known her for a long time. She's not just a servant. She is a saint. Gerilyn is so humble, I had a hard time finding a picture of her on the internet. Which is like saying something these days. In fact, I'm not even sure Gerilyn is a sinner. I've known her a long time. I've never seen her sin. You guys know Gerilyn. Have you ever seen Gerilyn sin? I don't think so. God might be most glorified by lives lived in holiness and purity. You might be here this morning with a big fat check a big voice, you might be serving on the volunteer, on the hospitality team or the greeting team, but if you have unconfessed sin in your life, 
If you've got a secret addiction that you're nursing, if you're a closet racist, if you have a hard time loving people who aren't like you, if you have a hard time forgiving family members who have hurt you, God would rather you keep your checker. I would rather you keep your checker. God would rather you keep your song to yourself. And God would rather have a nice long conversation about you living the life that Jesus has called you to live. There's lots of ways we can glorify God. We can sing, we can work, we can tell, we can give, we can live. All kinds of four-letter ways. But the last way we can glorify God is this. We can serve. (laughs) If you think about it, the removal of the E does not affect pronunciation. Right? See, serve. I just said it without the E, and it sounds the same. Serve, 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 serve. Same, Same pronunciation. And this way... It fits. <laughs> As Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, let your light shine before others that they may see your what? Your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. It is through our good deeds done in service to others that we bring God glory and help others see God's glory too. When we sacrifice our lives for the sake of other people, we show people God. We make them wonder. What would motivate someone to serve other people with such compassion and diligence? We go down to Mexico twice a year to build homes down there in a little community. We're actually getting ready to go next week. And this is exactly why we do it and what happens. We are showing the world, or at least this community, what God means to us through service, leading them to glorify God with us in gratitude. When the families that we build homes for receive these homes, they are overwhelmed with gratitude and they thank us so much. We're like, don't thank us. Please don't thank us. We are selfish, materialistic, um, Idiots. But God has made us something else. And God has given us the resources to bless you. So thank him. And they do. That's what Jesus is describing. In fact, not only that, we don't just glorify God when we serve others like this. The Bible says that we do something more. The Bible says that we share in his glory. We partake in the glory of God as it radiates through our service and holiness. As Paul writes to the Romans, therefore I glory, I glory, he says, in Christ Jesus, in my service to God. As we live lives of service, we actually share in the glory of God. We reflect the glory of God to the world as we serve each other. That's why there's nothing so powerful, nothing so beautiful as people sacrificing themselves for other people. There's nothing so glorious, for example, as a mother caring for a special needs child. There's nothing so glorious as a church volunteer showing up late Friday night after a long day at work, cleaning the bathrooms so that you guys can have clean bathrooms to use on Sunday morning. There's nothing so glorious as a teacher staying up late at night to grade papers. There's nothing so glorious as a Christian giving hand to the homeless or visiting the elderly in a nursing home. It's in our service to others that we reflect and share in the glory of God. Now, why is this? Why is it when we serve one another that we reflect best the glory of God? It's because of a very important thing. It's because our God is a servant. That's who he is. When we serve other people, we're reflecting the very character and the very heart of God. God revealed to us his servanthood when he came 
in Jesus Christ. Jesus did not come as a powerful king or a military conqueror. He came as a servant. He came washing our feet and dying on the cross for our sins. But in so doing, we saw the glory of God. So yes, we can see God's glory in the Milky Way. Yes, God reveals his glory in the soaring ceilings of the Sistine Chapel. Yes, God shows us glimpses of his glory in the beauty and complexity of human life. But more than anything, God shows us his glory in the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross for your sins and for mine. That's how we see it. As John writes, we have seen God's glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is what we remember when we celebrate communion. We remember that God's glory is most perfectly seen in his sacrifice for our sakes. When we drink from the cup, we're reminded of his blood, which was poured out for us. When we eat the wafer, we're reminded of his body, which was broken for us. When we take communion, we take it to the glory of God, who would love us this much that he would show us his glory in such a loving sacrifice. And we're also reminded, though, we're also reminded that although we see the glory of God in his perfect sacrifice, we will also see his glory again. Yes, Jesus came in glory once, but he's coming in glory again. And when he comes in glory again, Here's what's cool. It's going to be different. We're not going to see little glimpses of glory. We're going to be fully exposed to a panoramic vision of God's manifold perfections. It's going to be different. As Jesus tells us, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. I mean, if we have a hard time, and I know we do sometimes, if we have a hard time here on earth seeing God's glory here on earth, we won't when he returns. When he returns, we will see him in all his radiance, in all his power, and in all his might. And here's what's scary, though. Those of us who aren't ready for that, those of us who haven't been made pure by Jesus Christ, by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, those of us whose lives have not been taken over by the Holy Spirit of God, those of us who aren't ready to see God's glory, you know what's going to happen when we are exposed to God's glory? At the end of time, you know what's going to happen? We're going to die. Because we won't be able to take it. God knows that, and he's preparing us for that. And you know how he's preparing us for that? By coming to earth as a man and dying for our sins so that we can be made pure, so that we can share in his glory, so that there is no conflict between God's glory and our lives. That's what happens when we give our lives to Jesus Christ. Upon Christ's arrival, he's going to come to rid the world of sin, he's going to punish evil, he's going to destroy sinners, and he's going to reward those of us who have spent our lives glorifying God and Jesus Christ in every way we can. Every way we can. Whatever way we can. By singing, by working, by giving, by living, by telling, by serving. 